The boy is eating. The boy is your drinking. Coffee with Gringos, Dynamic English's new podcast where you can learn English simply by hearing people use it. So sit down and have a coffee with us. You are listening to Coffee with Gringos. I'm Paige Sutherland. And I'm Mariah Waika. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are with another Dynamic English teacher with Martin Rojas, and he's here today to tell us a little bit about himself and also share his interest in history. So it's a special episode today. Martin, we're excited to have you here with us. Thanks for having me. Just to start, obviously, you're new to the podcast. So tell our audiences a little bit about yourself, where you're from, when you came to Chile, why you came to Chile. Sure. So some some listeners might have guessed from my from my name being Martin Rojas or alternatively Martin Rojas. My father is Chilean. He went to the United States in the 70s, like a lot of people did. My mother is American, so I grew up in like a bilingual, somewhat bicultural home. And I visited Chile a lot. My Chilean grandparents live here. I have an uncle here. A lot of cousins of varying closeness who all live here. So I grew up kind of bouncing back and forth between the two. Recently, I got a Chilean citizenship. So I am here now experimenting with being Chilean, as I like to put it. I got here in January, started working for Dynamic shortly thereafter, and the idea is to stay for like two or three years and then sort of decide if I want to kind of stay here permanently or if it's time to uh, to go back and admit that I'm just another American. <laughs> no, I mean, what struck me is you said experimenting with being Chilean. What have you found so far in this experiment? <laughs> Whoa, what a question. It's interesting because... You know, so my mother is, like a lot of Americans, just like kind of a big a big mix of various European countries, like German, Irish, Scandinavian, Swiss, French, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like a lot of Americans, she, she doesn't really care. Like she doesn't take any of that seriously. But my father, you know, who grew up in Chile, took being Chilean very seriously. And he thought it was very important that his children know a lot about Chile and be familiar with Chile and understand Spanish and, and all of these things. So I sort of grew up thinking of myself as as Chilean in like a kind of meaningful sense, even though I was definitely also American. But when I come to Chile, it's very apparent that I am American because that's you know, America is where I went to school. America is fundamentally where where I grew up, and that's kind of an interesting sort of like a moderate form of an identity crisis. Chileans kind of have two reactions when I when I sort of give them the background. Sort of on the one hand, they're very they're very flattered that there's somebody who could live in America, but is living in Chile and does care about Chile and enjoys spending time in Chile. But on the other hand, they will they will be very upfront and be like, well, look, but if I could live in the US, I would, I would just live there. You know, I would, I would never live here. That's kind of an interesting kind of duality to navigate. And how has your experience been thus far in this sort of trial run of whether you could live here long term? Because you said before, you visited with with family before, maybe short visits for holidays, but this is, you're giving it a go. You're, you're doing adult life here. <laughs> yeah, doing adult life here, definitely. On some level, I want to give the answer of, uh, it is too early to tell, but that is, that's not a, that's not a great answer, especially not in a, in a podcast interview <laughs> format. 
if I'm in Chile, it's sort of a, a bit of trivia that like I grew up in America, but with a Chilean dad in like Chile. And if I live in America, people see my last name and they're like, oh, whoa, so what's, what's that about? You know, tell me, <laughs> tell me about that. You know, you don't look Mexican. This is weird. So kind of either way, I sort of have this, it kind of is this sort of like curious dynamic to my background that I guess I'm never, might never quite shake no matter where I went. I don't know, maybe I should go to Japan and I just sort of... <laughs> So you said that it was important for to your dad that his kids knew about their Chilean culture and about his his experience here. What were some customs that you maybe experienced in your childhood or grew up with from Chile? Sure. So I come from a from a very nerdy family. My dad is a translator. My mother is a librarian, and my Chilean grandparents are both retired professors of literature at a PhD level. So a lot of it was just books. Like my dad thought it was equally important for me to know who Bernardo O'Higgins was as it was important for me to know who George Washington was. So I was always trying to keep my knowledge of Chilean history apace with my knowledge of American history. And that applied just as much to like a lot of cultural things, just like music or literature or things like this. For more kind of like normal everyday stuff, there definitely wasn't as much because there are not a lot of Chileans in the United States. More than people think, but still not a lot. And Chile is also very, very far away from the United States. So there isn't like Chilean culture or Chilean products at hand the way there are, you know, like Mexican culture, Mexican products, or same with like Cuba or like a lot of Central American nations. But there were a few things, like my dad would uh, get a hold of mate, which I started drinking as a teenager, and I love we would make empanadas at home sometimes, which are delicious. A lot of my, my students don't believe me. Empanadas are not readily available in the United States. You can't just, you can't just go anywhere and, and get empanadas. I found one restaurant in Washington, D.C. that sold empanadas, and it was owned by, by Chileans. My dad also, uh, when he went to Chile, would always bring back lots of products with the Chilean flag on it, like baseball caps and T-shirts and things like that. That was the one kind of push in regards to Chilean culture that I was really resistant to. Because when you wear anything with a Chilean flag on it in the United States, people look at it and they think that it is the flag of the state of Texas. And they immediately start to talk to you about how awesome Texas is and how they are from Texas and how they're so excited to meet another fellow Texan and they want to know what part of Texas you're from. I want to talk about how everything's bigger in Texas, everything's better in Texas. And you awkwardly have to say like, oh no, as much as you love Texas, you can't actually fully recognize the flag because the Chilean flag is slightly different and it is the one I am wearing. It is a you know very small and very far away Latin American nation that you know nothing about. And then it just, it just nukes the conversation and it's so uncomfortable because they feel uncomfortable and then you feel uncomfortable and then there's just no real there's place. There's no coming back from that. Yeah, there's no, there's just nothing you can really, there's nowhere you can really go from there. They'll sometimes try and talk to you about soccer, which I don't know anything about, or they'll commit the, the constant sort of ugly American assumption if they think it's, I think you're basically talking about Mexico. Say I want to talk to you about like mariachi music or something, which is also terrible and obnoxious. So yeah, I never wear anything with the Chilean flag on it. So yeah. Martin, you said that it was, as you were growing up, it was important for you to keep your knowledge of Chilean history on pace with your knowledge of U.S. history. And you're a history buff. You know a lot about history. What inspired you to continue studying U.S. and Chilean history? Oh, uh, no need for inspiration. I just mm -hmm. genuinely really enjoy it. I, yeah. I just really like reading about about history. I, I read um like I read more nonfiction books than the novels. Like um, you can see I 
have with me. This is like a 500 or so page book, uh, just about the history of the Chilean right between 1964 and 73. To me, it's actually way more enjoyable to read this than like a, a novel. Most, most novels. There's some great novels out there. Right. You know, it went from like a vocation to an obsession, I guess. There's a big Chilean historian named Francisco Antonio Encina, who wrote like a 14 volume history of, of Chile. I am actually a descendant of his illegitimate son. I am actually his great-great-grandson, but from the illegitimate side of the family that was never recognized. So my last name would actually be Encina if he had given his last name to his his illegitimate illegitimate son, but he did not. And the uh, mother of said illegitimate son, her first last name was Rojas. And that is where Rojas comes from, which is somewhat amusing because Rojas is the third most common name in Chile. Francisco Antonio Encina is still a rel- you know, fairly, fairly well known, at least in, in academic circles or in, in nerdy like intellectual circles. Encina is definitely not a common name. Moreover, all of Encina's legitimate children were girls, so there is no direct descendant of his with the last name Encina anymore. There are actually no Encinas. So, yeah, how about that? You obviously said you read a lot, mostly nonfiction. Do you read mostly in Spanish, English, a little bit of both? It's a, it's a great question. It's, it's hard to maintain that, that balance. Right now I'm trying to really read like just in Spanish while I'm here in Chile since this is kind of like the big experiment for like staying here. So basically like I, I can read faster in English, certainly. So like what will happen is I will get lazy and I will start uh, reading in English again and just fall into that pattern for like a few months and then suddenly like just this wave of guilt will arrive and I'll be like I've not read a book in Spanish in six months I'm gonna I'm gonna forget Spanish I uh you know I'm a traitor to my inheritance this is so so awful I cannot believe I'm behaving in such a disrespectful manner and then I will start reading in in Spanish again so it sort of sort of bounces back and forth like that but right now I'm really trying to to just read in Spanish especially since I'm teaching English as a job, so I'm using English quite a bit at, right. at work. you gotta got to balance that out, definitely. Absolutely. I feel like every history fanatic has a time period that they really focus on. Is there a specific part of Chilean history that you really enjoy learning about? What a great question. Yeah, it's sort of a complicated answer because there are a few periods in Chilean history in that I find really interesting. Part of the reason I'm really interested in them is because there's not a lot written about them, which means that I don't actually know that much about them, nor have I read that much about them, because it can be really, really challenging to find books on certain things. There's certain things that are really in vogue to study, and there are other things that like no, just like nobody knows about. The thing I'm trying to learn more about is like the 20th century's first military dictatorship which lasted from 1927 until 1931 under Ibanez del Campo, which nobody knows about this brief period, which I find kind of fascinating because it was sort of like the first military dictatorship and sort of in the 20th century. I mean, it was in many ways sort of the the precursor for what would come much later on. It's been largely forgotten. Ibanez just became so unpopular that he resigned in 1931. And there was a very chaotic period thereafter, including a very, very brief socialist republic, which actually renamed itself the, the, the Chilean Socialist Republic. It lasted about 90 days or so. That is also absolutely a fascinating. Very, a very brief period. Very, very brief. It's kind of similar to like the Paris Commune in like the 19th century. 
where it was just sort of like this like kind of blip of radicalism where they just held on to power for just for just a second. What's interesting about that is that that government issued a lot of edicts which were which were later used by the Allende regime because the constitution didn't actually change between the time of that socialist republic and the time Allende was elected. So they issued like a lot of these sort of like sort of like declarations. One of the big ones was like, you know, if a company or like a factory is, you know, being really inefficient, the state has the right to just take it over. And that was never approved by by Congress or anything during this sort of brief socialist republic, but it was never it was never done away with. It was just sort of like forgotten about and that was actually like a legal tool that Allende would would go on to use quite a bit. There definitely are these impacts and it's the, I mean it's the same way with like you know, the people who brought together the, the coup in 73, I mean, definitely looked to Ivanes del Campo in the 20s and 30s as the model, as the fact that this could be done, the fact that it had been done, that it was relatively successful. So you read a lot in books about Chilean history. Your dad obviously really tried to keep you in the know about the history, and you visited a lot. But was there anything that you learned about in books, through your dad, through your visits, that you were surprised by or kind of clicked for you now that you're living here and you're kind of being Chilean now? <laughs> That's another great question. I think something that maybe made an impression on me is just like the, the difference in, in relative wealth. Mm-hmm. Because from afar, it's always talked about and it's always like written about in, in books and stuff that Chile is considerably wealthier than the rest of Latin America or even countries that are similar uh, similar amounts of wealth, like Argentina, like Chile's still like way less corrupt. There's a lot less crime. So because you hear that so much, I think it, it, it's easy to forget that there still is this really big gulf between Chile and the United States. And my my dad and, and his parents both live in this in a small town in the north, kind of, I mean, kind of kind of in isolation. Vocabulary word for you listeners, they kind of live in the boonies. They kind of live in the boondocks of Chile, northern yeah. Chile. Yeah. <laughs> So because of that isolation, like when I when I visited a lot, like when I was a teenager in my early 20s, I visited them a lot and would stay with them and wouldn't interact as much with sort of Chilean society uh, as a whole. So I think I think maybe the difference in in wealth is a really big deal. I mean, especially because like when you when you land in Santiago and you look around, you know, you see all these big buildings. Buildings are, are kept up. They're they're well maintained. You know, nothing's nothing's crumbling. You know, even the graffiti is really pretty here. So it's easy to sort of like even once you like literally see Chile, it's like oh, you know, you've got office buildings with with elevators and stuff. You know, you've got these big shopping malls that are kept like spotless clean. But there still is there still is this really big difference in in like sort of just sort of like day to day purchasing power. So you've told us a lot about about your knowledge of history. I know that I've learned a lot today, and I'm sure you have too, Paige. Is this something that you are pursuing as a career? Is it a hobby that you're really passionate about? Where are you headed with history? Mm-hmm. I've, I've done actually a lot of a lot of ghost writing in the United States related to, to history and politics, which uh, by contract, uh, by definition, I'm, I'm not allowed to get into here. <laughs> Sorry. So it's to say, like I have I have done a lot of writing in English about like American history and, and politics. And one of the goals is to get to a point where I can at least kind of do that in Spanish. I can write in Spanish, but it takes a long time and it's it's kind of awkward. Like the prose can be a little a little more awkward. So one of the goals is to get better at that. So far I've uh, been published uh, in Spanish only once. So yeah, we're getting there. Awesome. Well, thanks again for sharing. We've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Coffee 
with Gringos was brought to you by Dynamic English, where you can learn English simply by using it. If you're interested in taking classes or just want to learn more, go to our website at dynamicenglish.cl. Thanks for listening.